Well, good morning. Fall is upon us. Kids are either back or just about to get back in school. A lot going on. Uh, it feels like you get back into familiar routines. We're back to two services, uh, not one. And uh, we're going to talk about a checkup. Before we do that, though, let's pray. Father God, what a delight it is to gather together with others and to sing your praises. Lord, when we sing these songs, we, we sing about things that are true about you and true about us, and we're just reminded that you are with us always. We're reminded that you are bigger than anything we face. We're reminded that, God, you love us. Father, would you love us now by speaking to us? Would you open our hearts and our minds to hear from you and to respond in obedience? So, God, let us hear from your word and your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I read an article this summer, and it was kind of humorous. It was also, it was talking about a, a fact in our society, and that is that people uh, really kind of don't like going to the doctor. Uh, in fact, uh, they avoid going to the doctor, and they do that because they don't want bad news. Hello? Amen. How weird is that? <laughs> Uh, is it somehow better that you don't know your health is bad or at risk? Like if you don't know, it'll go away. Uh, or if you don't know, it'll get better. Uh, your arteries will just unclog by themselves, right? Or your cancer will just disappear. Or those heart irregularities will just stop, you know? The reason we go to a doctor, of course, is for a checkup. And as you get older, you do that with more and more regularity. And it's so that we can know how we're doing you know, physically, how are we doing? We go to the doctor and he or she checks our, our temperature, our weight, they look at our skin, the breathing, the blood pressure, all that, all kind of essential indicators of how we're doing physically. But here's the deal. As important as it is to monitor our physical well-being, and certainly it is, it is infinitely more important, I would argue, to monitor our spiritual well-being. Yet so many people never give even so much as a second thought to monitoring their spiritual well-being. And yet we know our physical bodies are all headed for exactly the same place, right? It'll either be a hole in the ground or maybe an urn on the mantle, right? I mean, that's, that's where our bodies are headed. And so by far the most important question about you and about me is what is your spiritual condition? What is the condition of your soul? And today we're starting into a short series. It's called Check Up. And uh, we're going to be looking at our spiritual well-being. And to help us look at this, uh, we're going to take up a classic passage in Scripture that talks about four spiritual essentials, four indicators, if you will, of a person's spiritual health. And we're going to walk through these together. And the reason this matters so much is just as there are people all around us, maybe even some in this room this morning who have, who knows, uh, heart disease or cancer and, and the symptoms that are there, they are currently ignoring. That's a deadly thing to do. But so also there are people whose spiritual lives are in a really serious disarray and yet they're ignoring God or they're hardly aware at all of their actual spiritual condition. And they're headed down a road that could lead to all kinds of even eternal regret. And for some, the symptoms are there, but you know, again, they don't want to know. Now, 
My trust this morning is, is that this is a courageous group, that you will do the work with me of kind of, you know, peeling back the layers and taking a look at just how we, each of us, are actually doing, that you'll do a personal checkup and actually try to monitor your own spiritual health so that by the time we're done in this message, and this has been my prayer all week long, all of us will have a little better understanding of what our spiritual condition actually is. And that's why in your program, I hope you have one, if you open them up, take a look, there's a little checkup scale in there of the four spiritual indicators that we're gonna be talking about this morning. And I'm gonna ask you to put an X. Now, the first service would not do this. So at one point in the sermon, I just asked him to pretend. It would make me feel better. I feel like you're not just literally ignoring me, right? But uh, so I asked him to put an X, you know, on that continuum that accurately conveys their own spiritual condition. So would you work with me? I I heard somebody say no, at least they're being honest. Uh, Yeah, so, uh, you know, I don't know if that makes their spiritual condition better or worse, but whatever. So I'm gonna give you a little warning about this before we dive in. Do you think people ever lie to their doctors? Uh, Turns out it's very common knowledge to doctors that their patients lie to them all the time. They're actually taught this in school. Um, They routinely lie, the patients do. They drink more than they say they do. Uh, They exercise less usually than they claim to. They lie about their weight, even knowing they have to get on a scale in a moment, right? They'll go ahead and lie about it. Uh, They will lie about smoking. Yes, I've quit when actually I haven't, or I smoke a lot less than I actually do. So here's the thing. When you're assessing yourself this morning, remember this. This is just between you and God. Nobody else gets to see this unless you show them. So try not to lie, okay? Uh, Because here's the thing. God, of course, already knows. He knows everything about you and everything about me. What good would it do for us to lie? In fact, it's God's desire that we accurately know the truth about ourselves. And he will speak to us about this this morning. And that's why I would ask you to open yourself up, listen to what he says to you, and don't lie when you're putting an X there in that box. So now here we go. Uh, Here's where we get our four spiritual indicators. In the Bible, after Jesus died and was resurrected and went uh, ascended into heaven, God sent the Holy Spirit uh, to earth in a fresh, kind of new, more powerful outpouring. Uh, It happened on the day of Pentecost, and you could argue that that was when the New Testament church actually was born or began. There's an Old Testament church too, and they're, they're joined at the hip, but that New Testament church actually began there in the day of Pentecost. And it turns out that in the book of Acts, Acts chapter two, uh, the author talks about four uh, defining characteristics that demonstrated spiritual vitality in the lives of those who follow Jesus. These are key indicators, sort of like our physical indicators, things like heart rate, blood pressure, temperature, and so. And so we're gonna look at these four spiritual indicators of the early church, and we're gonna use them to measure ourselves. That's where we're going. Now, Dr. Luke, he's the author of the book of Acts. Did you know he was a doctor? The apostle Paul one time in writing to the church at Colossae said this about, he says, our dear friend, Luke, the doctor. So just so happens that, you know, we're reading the words of a doctor this morning as we do this checkup ourselves. So Dr. Luke puts it this way. They, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's our four spiritual indicators. And I want to note one distinction in the text that'll kind of help us anchor this assessment that we're about to do on ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit. We're told that the early followers of Jesus devoted themselves to these practices. 
That's what Dr. Luke tells us. They devoted themselves to these practices. Now, there was a huge difference, friends, between dabbling and devotion. There's a huge difference. Let me illustrate it this way. How many people here, and I want you to put your hands up high so people can see. How many people here ever took piano lessons? I did. I took piano lessons. Wow, a lot of us. Look around. A lot of people took piano lessons. Okay, how many people in this room were so devoted to practicing, so gripped by the vision of mastering this beautiful instrument that you never watched the clock during the lesson? You never skipped a single practice. You never omitted a scale. You never skipped a lesson. And that is how you achieved piano greatness today. Put your hands up. Wow. Wow. Oh my gosh, that's a lot less of us. In fact, I don't see a a single hand out there. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. And I kind of thought that would happen. So here's the question. How many people dabbled when it came to the piano? Be honest, how many people dabbled? Yeah, there you go. You see, to dabble in something means that that I do it when it's convenient. To dabble in something means that uh, when I'm in the mood, I'll do it. To dabble in something means when I absolutely have to do it, I'll do it. To dabble in something means I only do it if I'm made to do it. These early Jesus followers, they were not dabblers. They were not dabblers. They were convinced that now through Jesus Christ, through his teaching, through his way of life, through his presence and being with them, they could live and grow in the character and the power of God. And that was the best offer they had ever, ever heard in their lifetime. That was something worthy of devotion to them, not dabbling. That was what they wanted more than anything else. And so they made this this way of life, this thing of following Jesus, their ultimate priority. And they would not miss it. They weren't about to. In fact, as we read the story of the early church unfolding, what we really discover is they even often sacrificed all kinds of things for it. Dr. Luke says they devoted themselves to these things. And they did this with joy. So what did that look like, these early followers of Jesus, as they devoted themselves to these practices, these four things? Now, as we talk about this, I'm going to ask you to make your mark on that scale, okay? Just as a way of listening to God, how would he guide you? What's the truth about where you're at, spiritually speaking? Here's number one, the apostles' teaching. Or in other words, the word of God. That's what we're talking about. And a question that kind of helps us diagnose this for ourselves is, am I meeting God in the Bible on a regular basis? That's the question. It's really nothing more complicated than that. When we're told that the early followers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, of course, that teaching has come down to us through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And the New Testament, of course, tells us uh, specifically about Jesus, about his life, about his death, about the fact that he was resurrected from the dead, about his ministry, about his teaching on so many different subjects. And the New Testament is also, uh, of course, the very teaching of the apostles and this community that God created through that teaching. In other words, the New Testament records or records what the apostles taught for us. And what they taught more than anything else was about Jesus. Duh, that's what they taught about, Jesus. In fact, they were gripped They were obsessed by the unmatched wisdom 
of Jesus' teaching and the way that he lived his life. They were obsessed with this kind of world-shattering reality that he had introduced them to. They were obsessed with the facts around Jesus, that he came, that he lived, that he died, but he didn't stay dead. And when he died, he died for them on a cross. And then he came back from the dead. These are earth-shattering kinds of things. And so they were devoted to this man's life and to this man's teaching. Not because they thought God was going to give them some kind of gold star or something of that nature. Not because uh, it was an obligation that they had to do. Not because they would get in trouble or they would feel guilty if they weren't. But because they had met this Jesus. So many of them. A man who offered meaning and purpose for life and hope beyond death. Like nothing else they had ever heard about before. And I have to tell you, when somebody is alive to God... They love the wisdom of Scripture, the wisdom of the Bible. When somebody is alive to God, they love the comfort that they find in Scripture. When somebody is alive to God, they want the words of this book to get embedded deep down into their hearts and into their minds because it transforms them in the way they do life. It transforms them so much that when they're in trouble, they learn to think, oh, the Lord is my shepherd. He's with me. He's watching over me. He's going to care for me, right? So that when they wake up in the morning, they think this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to be glad in it. It's his day. He's with me. He's going to stay with me. When they're insulted or when they're hurt or when they're attacked, they actually learn to do what Jesus taught, which was turn the other cheek. When someone cuts them off in the freeway, they've learned to say, get thee behind me, Satan. They've learned to live out scripture, you see. <laughs> the point is, something is always running through our minds. It's how we're made. Continual stream or train of thought, if you will. And if it's not the thoughts and the teachings of the Bible, what is it? What would you rather it be? We get so lax and so casual about things that matter so much. We really do. What are we filling our minds with? Now understand, I'm not asking you if you believe that the Bible is the word of God. Interestingly enough, in America, in the United States, the vast majority of people say they believe that the Bible is the word of God. And yet they don't actually read it. Interesting. The Barna Research Group says the vast majority of Americans believe the Bible is the word of God, but 60% of us cannot name even one of the Ten Commandments. Not one. Another statistic, one out of three people who follow Jesus cannot name the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Bob. <laughs> they don't know the four gospels, the very books that talk about Jesus. 75% of us who say that we believe the Bible is the word of God also believe that in the Bible, it says God helps those who help themselves. Friends, that's not in the Bible. Who said that? Ben Franklin. That's a Ben Franklin quote, yeah. 12% of people believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. I'm not making that up. Mrs. Arc. <laughs> we laugh, but some here are sitting with us, friends and, and you know, people that we know who are going, oh, yeah, I thought it was, yeah, I thought she was, yeah. You know, I mean, you know. Friends, when somebody is being animated by the Spirit of God, 
when they have Jesus' spirit living in them, when they have a vision for living life with Jesus, they find themselves wanting to meet him in this book we call the Bible. They just do. They're just curious about the things he said and the way he lived and what he did. And they will even memorize passages of it, not to show off, not because they think it's meritorious somehow, but to get wisdom living inside themselves. And again, we're kind of assessing ourselves here, right? So on the other end of that spectrum, uh, what does dabbling look like in this? Well, you know, dabbling... um, People who dabble in this have a way of neglecting the Bible or even, you know, avoiding it, fearful that maybe if they read it, they're going to feel guilty or they're going to be ashamed or some such thing as that. They don't want to read it. Or when they read it, they find it really difficult or boring or just something they'd rather be doing something else. Uh, They get careless about what they feed their minds on a regular or a consistent basis. And I want to challenge all of us this morning, especially young people on this thing that we're talking about right now. This summer, I had the opportunity to talk with a gentleman who is the president and chancellor of Columbia International University, which is a, it's a small Christian college. Um, And it was interesting. He was saying that he's very encouraged by this generation of students that he sees coming into the school. Um, He's encouraged by their commitment to compassion. They have a great love for justice, he said. They have a great desire to steward the planet that God has given us. They have a great desire to make a difference in the world. And he mentioned too how they, they just hate phoniness all great qualities about this younger generation. But he said to me, he said his biggest concern for them is that these young folks just simply don't know the Bible. He said, we're raising a generation of young people who want to love, who want to follow Jesus. They name the name of Jesus, but they don't actually know much about the book that tells us about Jesus. And their minds are being shaped by other things. It's a problem for all of us all of us in this room. So everybody, I would just ask you, where are you on this key indicator? Are you devoted or are you more of a dabbler? I mean, do you actually have a plan for reading the Bible? That's always helpful. I find that when I don't have a plan, I really don't read it. That's just kind of the truth, but I need a plan. You know, are you carrying out that plan? Do you, do you meditate on it regularly? Do you memorize pieces of it? If you're having struggles with this, do you go to someone who might know more about it and say, help me, I, I need some help in this area. When is the last time you decided to do something solely for the reason that you're commanded to do it in scripture? Where does your ex go on that one? Make your mark, pretend to, even if you, you know, don't have something, you can just pretend, it makes me feel good. Um, Here's number two, the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. The question for us here is, is God transforming my relationships? Am I seeking reconciliation where I should? Uh, Am I growing in this matter of showing grace to others? Am I practicing the, the art, and it really is an art, of speaking the truth in love to those with whom I'm in relationship? Or am I doing conflict avoidance? That's a lot of times what we do. That would be what a dabbler does. Am I doing conflict avoidance? You know, when somebody irritates us or we have a little rift between us, you know, we just kind of turn our back on that person and I'm done with them. I don't want to see them. I don't want to bump into them. I'm certainly not going to go talk to them. I'm not going to seek reconciliation. 
Understand, when the Holy Spirit came, he ushered into the human race a whole new, different way of doing relationships, a whole different way of doing and being in community. One of Jesus' most famous teachings about relationships is so brief and so brilliant, we've given it a title. We call it the golden rule. You've all heard it. Jesus said in Matthew 7, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets, he said. So in the Acts 2 church, the Holy Spirit was creating a golden rule community. That's what he was doing. Uh, he was creating this golden rural community out of rich and poor and Jew and Gentile and male and female, every race, every tongue, every nation. They took this seriously. And I'll just say, uh, when a person is spiritually healthy, it will be a top priority with them to have some relationships with other brothers in the faith or sisters in the faith where they can get real where they can actually tell the truth about themselves and talk about their temptations, even confess their sins one to another. Here's how I messed up. Here's where I'm struggling with this sin. Here's where with money or my sexuality or anger, I'm not on track. I need your help. Would you pray for me? Do you have any counsel? What should I do? This is where people will say, you know, here are my values. Here's what I think about finances or prayer or intimacy or family or marriage or what have you. Will you hold me accountable? Will you help me grow into these things? Will you help me stay on the track of transformation and change, which we're on our whole lives long? Now, you see, defining the ends of this scale, you have your program there, uh, defining the ends of this scale. When, when people are just dabbling in this, they come to church when it's convenient. They don't, they don't have a high value of gathering together with others. They avoid getting too close to people uh, who are you know, real about who they are because that might mean they have to be real about who they are. You, you, did that make sense? Didn't sound right. But anyway, they, they really don't want to be a part of a small group. I mean, that's where you could be, wow, really exposed. You might have to share a little bit about yourself or talk a little bit about where you struggle or pray for others who are struggling. They don't want to be held accountable. When people are dabbling in this area, they get casual about gathering with other believers for worship. It's not a priority. It's something that they fit in occasionally when it's convenient for them. Friends, when people are spiritually healthy, fellowship matters to them. Gathering together with others matters to them. So they invest in relationship with God first and foremost, but they also invest in relationships with people, with people who want to pursue God and follow Jesus, even though, fact, <laughs> this is the truth, even though relationships are difficult, relationships are messy, relationships are challenging. Amen? Amen. Yeah, they are. You guys are something else. <laughs> so in our relationships, when you are healthy in this area, one of the things you learn to do is keep short accounts. You just keep short accounts. The apostle Paul said one time, he said, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. You wanna give the devil a foothold in your life? Then hold grudges. Keep records of what people have said or done that disappointed you. And notice too, Paul doesn't say Christians shouldn't get angry 
In fact, one of the worst things, uh, ways to handle anger is to pretend that you're not angry. That's terrible. When the Holy Spirit is really at work in somebody's life, they become devoted to keeping short accounts, reconciling broken relationships. They do relationships differently. Lingering resentment, sarcastic shots over the bow, silent withdrawal, deep contempt and judgment. These things they're no longer willing to just live with in their life, you see. And again, I'm of course not saying that any Jesus follower is relationally perfect. We demonstrate that and make that abundantly clear in our staff. We're all the time having to forgive, having to reconcile, um, but we work at it. It's anything but perfect. And you know, uh, if you're honest with yourself at all, so is your marriage, so are your efforts at parenting or being parented, you know? It's difficult stuff, not at all. But what we are is, and what we want to be is devoted to making things and setting things right so that there's reconciliation. That gives Jesus glory. And so we want to regularly ask the Holy Spirit, would you guide me in this relationship, right? We say phrases like, I'm sorry, I blew it again, or I forgive you. And so, you know, honesty time here, just um, where do you put that X for you in this area? How are your relationships? Uh, when it comes to this indicator, are you devoted to fellowship? Are you devoted to community? Are you devoted to accountability? Are you devoted to forgiveness and honesty? Or are you kind of just dabbling here when it comes to relationships? Make a mark, make a mark. Here's number three, the breaking of bread. Uh, Dr. Luke wrote, and he said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Here the question is, am I sharing my life with others? That's what this is about. In Acts 2, this was a, there was a radically different way of doing life from other folks around them, other folks in their culture. Uh, it just became a part of the way Jesus' community functioned. Breaking of bread refers to this idea of sharing of meals and showing of hospitality and letting people who needed to come into your home. In the ancient world, guess what? People were just like us. They cared first about themselves, and then they cared about family, and then if anybody else got cared for, it wasn't very often. They were kind of outside that line of demarcation, right? But in the Acts 2 church, something radically happened that changed that dynamic. The Holy Spirit got a hold of people and began to prompt them to treat strangers almost like they were family. To treat people who were different from them and people of other tribes and people who are frankly of no strategic use to them whatsoever, treat them like family. And that began to happen. People that had homes uh, would open up their homes. They would share the stuff in their homes with others that had needs. People that had property would sometimes sell some of it and give their money to the apostles who would then give it to people that didn't have the things, the bare needs and necessities uh, of life. People who are spiritually alive and healthy would devote themselves to this kind of stuff. It's amazing, really. They wanted to know, you know, what are the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given me? And how do I use these gifts, not primarily for my own fulfillment or for my own career, but to serve God and to benefit the family, you see, Jesus' body. And so, you know, today in our context, uh, the chance to, to teach children or the chance to be a volunteer, to come alongside a high school student or disciple little ones in the uh, kids' ministry, the chance to help a stranger when they come through the front doors, help them feel welcome. All those things, no kidding, would be seen as 
really opportunities to serve, to show hospitality. And it was viewed as a privilege, not a burden. People who are mature in this area, you'll find them serving all over the place. And they did it back then, they still do it today, even though there's no big spotlight on them, you know, featuring them. They're not doing it for that reason. They're serving because they've been served, you see. And they're visiting somebody, some friend or some person they know who's alone in the hospital, or they're adopting some classroom of students that are under-resourced. They're doing everything they can to help that educational process, or they're going on a a, a short-term mission trip to Guatemala or who knows where. And instead of dabbling at things too, like giving, they understand that their finances bring kingdom impact. And they have a systematic plan for tithing and generosity. They experience the joy and the faith that comes when they know that God is involved in every aspect of their life. People who are spiritually alive this way, they will walk through their days knowing, and I mean this, knowing that God is with them, that God is at work all around them, that God can use them to impact, to change the lives of others, to make a difference where, whether it's in their home or in their school or in the marketplace, wherever they are, they're absolutely convinced that this is the best way to live with hospitality, breaking bread, you see, with others. People in the Acts 2 church lived like God was everywhere. Can you imagine? Just like God is everywhere. God's love, God's care, God's power had become the foundation, if you will, of their lives. And so they lived and they loved differently. Frankly, if all we're doing is uh, sitting here uh, inside this this room, if, if that's all we're doing, if God is not using us to serve folks with needs, to love people others don't love, or to get beyond differences in accent or skin color or the way people dress or what have you, if we're not going out there and making life better for people, well, nobody cares what we dabble in, in here. People who are spiritually healthy do that. People who are spiritually healthy, unhealthy, don't. And that's the kind of big idea behind this breaking of bread thing. So how are you doing? Make your mark, if you would. Make your mark. Number four, the last one, prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The question here is, am I continually communicating with God? Am I in close connection with him and always communicating with him? The apostle Paul said that spiritually healthy people rejoice in the Lord always. He said... uh, A spiritually healthy person is not anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, they present their request to God. Paul said that a spiritually healthy person will give thanks in all circumstances, knowing this is God's will for them in Christ Jesus. And the idea is they are constantly aware of God's presence, constantly aware of God's provision, constantly aware of God's care. And so consequently, they are also constantly communicating with him, you see. And even on a human level, we know this is true. We experience this in our relationships. The healthier a relationship, the more intimate a relationship, the more you communicate, the more attuned you are to any difficulties in that relationship. This past week, my wife, Holly, called me at the end of a long day and told me we would be eating dinner at one of our children's homes and we'd have the privilege of putting all of our grandchildren to bed. Um... I was tired and I wasn't even feeling that well. And it had already been a long day and I was done doing people things. Any introverts? Amen? Yeah. Introverts here? Yeah, you know, you know exactly. I was done doing people things. 
I didn't want to do this and uh, then get home late and so on. So I called her back and I very lovingly expressed my dissenting opinion. <laughs> I think I said something like, yeah, there's no way I'm doing this tonight. It was something like that. <laughs> and then suddenly our connection was cut off. And I could tell because I'm very skilled at this and I have training, pastoral counseling and stuff. I knew there was, had been a rupture to our connection and I knew that in order to fix it, we needed to talk, right? We needed to talk. Uh, communication is essential in relationships, whether that's with God, with each other, absolutely essential. Now, just to close out that story, I did get back to Holly, we did talk and we did go eat dinner and put the, ch- uh, the grandchildren to bed. So anyway. <laughs> In the Acts 2 church, people were devoted to communicating with God. They were devoted to prayer, which means they were devoted to having a continual, interactive, participative engagement with God. That's what prayer is. That's how we fix broken relationships. When, when things get broken between us or God or you know, us, you and I, I mean, you, you can only fix it through communication, Right? This is how we give and receive grace through communication, constant communication, consistent communication is essential. In the Acts 2 church, people prayed when they would gather together. In the Acts 2 church, they prayed when they were on their own. They prayed to start the day. They prayed at the end of the day. Uh, They prayed when uh, they were in trouble and they, they desperately needed help. They prayed when they were blessed and they just wanted to give thanks and express gratitude. Why did they devote themselves to prayer? Not because it was an obligation, not because, again, it was you know, meritorious or something, not to show that they were super spiritual people. They prayed, I think, because they were convinced that they were not in control of the universe. But they knew who was. They knew who was. And they were convinced, unlike people in our day, that self-sufficiency and self-reliance They're not good life strategies. They're not. They were convinced that God exists and God listens and God cares and God responds and God is able for anything, any situation we face. And the point is just this, folks. People who are alive spiritually have a connection and a conviction that the greatest intimacy with God comes through this vehicle, this thing of communication and prayer. You know, ask people who've experienced a tragedy in their lives, people who have been betrayed by a spouse or people who got diagnosed with some deadly disease or people who had a dream crumble or maybe they lost a job. They will tell you something happens in prayer or can that does not happen anywhere else. And the truth is, in prayer, people do receive wisdom. In prayer, people receive strength. In prayer, they receive a a peace that passes understanding, or they can. In prayer, they can receive encouragement and guidance and conviction and forgiveness and mercy. They become aware that they are loved by a great, big, powerful God. And here's the deal. If you want to be spiritually healthy, If I want to be spiritually healthy, we can't just dabble in prayer. Dabbling in prayer would be, you know, 
You don't routinely surrender your day to him. You know, one of my practices is no big mystery, no big spiritual thing, but I, I get up in the morning and it's like, okay, God, here we go. It's you and me. I mean, I know he's with you too, but it's, you know, I'm saying it's you and me. I'm checking in. I need you. I've got meetings today. I need wisdom for these meetings. I need endurance for these meetings. Uh, God, I, I need help with this. I need help with that. God, I love you. I want to glorify you. I want what I say, what I do today to, to be useful. So God, I need you to work. You know, you, uh, when you dabble in, in prayer, that's just not a practice. You don't regularly express gratitude to God when you dabble. You stay anxious when you dabble in prayer. You don't pray unless there's a crisis so big you've tried everything you can to throw at it, it didn't get fixed. And so now maybe, maybe it's prayer time. That's dabbling. And then if you don't get what you want to right away, dabbling gives up, it doesn't persist. You know, Jesus invites us and actually commands us to persist. He says, persist in prayer like somebody who's knock, knock, knocking at the neighbor's door. Keep on, keep on, he says. Jesus said one time, pray like the widow who's pestering the judge, the unjust judge, to get what she desperately, desperately needs. She just keeps asking, keeps requesting. She persists, even though the judge has a very sickly heart, not a, not a compassionate heart. And Jesus' point actually is, keep on with that judge, but imagine the heart of your heavenly father. He does care. So persist, he says in prayer. Dabblers don't persist. So let, let's be honest on this. Where does that X go on your scale? Make your mark. Now, I want to invite you to take seriously this checkup thing. And, I, you know, I'm not up here to make you feel guilty or anything. That really is not the point. The point is, hear from, hear from the Lord as you do business with the Lord. He's the best doctor there ever was. Let him guide you where to put that mark and let him speak to you about that. How are you doing? Where is your, where is your X? Where is your ex? And just between you and the Lord. You know, I need to make this point. This is important. Nothing that we're talking about this morning, absolutely nothing, not one bit of it, is something we have the power to do ourselves. It's not something we just, you know, suck it up and get hard about this and, you know, we're going to improve. No, no, no. This is not self-help stuff. This is not about self-improvement. In fact, if your exes are low on the scale there, then what I would say to you is, man, you just, you need Jesus like I do. You need Jesus. Jesus can and Jesus will help us. He's the one who started the New Testament church. He's the one who sustains the New Testament church. He's the one who is at work in you and me. He's speaking to some of us right now. You see, devotion, friends, doesn't mean perfection. Oh, goodness, no. It's doesn't mean perfection. It just means sincere surrender one moment at a time. You just keep practicing surrender. The moment you fail, you just practice more surrender. And I was wondering when I looked at that verse in Acts 2, I wonder how Dr. Luke, if he were looking at us, you know, how would he describe us as a family? Would he say, you know, they devoted themselves or what do you say? They dabbled. And I want to tell you this because you're not likely to hear it outside the doctor's office. We live in a culture that will tell you to devote yourself to your own happiness. Our culture will tell you, devote yourself to your own success. Devote yourself to your own little ego. Devote yourself to uh, your own little life. And we live in a world that will also try to persuade you day in and day out to dabble in God. 
And I think the great danger for most of us is not that, not that we'll deny God. It's not that we'll reject him. It's not that we're going to abandon him. The great danger is that we'll just dabble. That's the great danger. And as your pastor, I have to tell you, Jesus never called anybody ever to dabble in him. You know, there's, a, there's the black book, the big black book in AA, if you know anything about AA. And of course, AA is for addicts. It's for people that are, find themselves just in bondage uh, to addiction. And the truth about all of us is we're all in bondage to addictions. All of us are live in bondage to things we think will save us better than Jesus, right? The addict just has gotten to a point where their life is literally unmanageable because of this addiction. I mean, it's so obvious to everyone around them and, and usually late in becoming obvious to them. But in this big book, there is a great statement. There's so many great statements, but this is one of them. And it, it, this is so true. It says in the big book that half measures will avail us nothing. We must seek his protection and care with complete abandon. It's throwing ourselves entirely, it's surrendering ourselves entirely to him and saying, Jesus, I can't do any of this. I've tried, I've failed, I can't do any of this. But I want you to do it in me. You see, that is the only way to receive the power to live a transformed life. And so my word to us this morning is not very complicated. It's just a challenge, it's an encouragement. It's where I find my heart wanting to go. And that is just simply this. No dabbling. Full devotion. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, what grace it is to come into a place and again, be able to sing the truth about who you are. Remember your forgiveness and grace. Lord, anytime we're putting X's on some kind of continuum, uh, we're gonna come up short. I mean, that's who we are. That's how we live. And we just confess that to you. But God, the good news about this message is that there were a group of people a long time ago following Jesus and because they surrendered to the work of your Holy Spirit, they became devoted to these things. May the same thing happen in us, God. Jesus, may your will, your power, your transforming work happen in our lives. May we be a people wholly devoted to you. For we ask this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.